This is the World Teacher Podcast. Welcome to episode 26 of the World Teacher Podcast. My guest today is an educational changemaker who's on a mission to help humanity by nurturing the development of 100,000 young innovators and entrepreneurs. His name is Rajesh Nair. Originally an engineer and product designer by training, he has founded multiple successful startups as an entrepreneur himself, and he has since grown to become a really interesting and impactful global educator. Mr. Nair was one of the founding faculty at the Asia School of Business, where he served as a professor of practice in innovation and entrepreneurship. He also served as a visiting scholar at MIT, where he developed a series of research-based workshops that he has since delivered in both underserved developing communities in several different parts of the world, as well as in some of the world's richest schools in the United States. I really like his conceptual framework for developing entrepreneurial mindsets and skills, which underlies the two programs he developed, which he calls Zero to Maker and Zero to Entrepreneur. He's someone whose work should be expanded, I believe, particularly in communities where the growth of basic 21st century skills, like creativity and complex problem solving, are still undersupported. And that's a lot of places. It was a pleasure to speak with him. I hope you enjoy listening. This is me and Rajesh Nair on nurturing innovation and entrepreneurship in kids. Rajesh Nair, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, your work is really, really incredible. You're on a mission to reach a million young people and nurture 100,000 entrepreneurs. Yes. Why this mission? So uh, when you look at uh, the sustainable development goals that UN had put out, uh, it, it is supposed to reach the whole world. It is, they have you know, 17 different problem spaces and each one may have a thousand or more real problems that need to be dealt under each one of those umbrellas. Uh, and when you really zoom out and look at it, who is going to solve all these problems? You know? And solving problems need two kinds of people. One is somebody who can understand the problem and create a solution. And then a second person, or could be the same person, who can actually monetize it and create value out of it, extract value out of it, so that they could be they could be gainfully, you know, motivated to to continue the work. So, and these are the innovators and entrepreneurs. So, if you could create, and I consider this as SDG zero, because if you can create this. Uh, create innovators and entrepreneurs. If we can nurture innovators and entrepreneurs, they can go solve the other S17 SDGs that we have already established. So that's the first part, okay? Because we talk about them as silos of different set of problems, but the, the thing that runs right across are the need for innovators and entrepreneurs. Now, why a million? Million was, uh, uh, this, this was brought out just so I wanted to put a, uh, a goal at that point I thought was outside my reach so that I can work towards it. And my my research and thesis at MIT was to uh, work on, uh, was to, uh, was uh, how do we nurture innovators and entrepreneurs from underserved communities 
so that they would go change their communities and they would create uh, jobs they create startups they create wealth and on the process solve these problems so if you could create them then you have already started changing communities and if you really look at most of the communities that is what really what is needed uh, because the problems have remained the same uh, if you look at most of the un- underserved communities you realize children who grow up aspire to be what they see around them and unfortunately most of the time they achieve it you know and that is a limiting uh, what how do you actually show them things beyond what they what they can see around them uh, and it starts with actually start uh, showing them what they're capable of if you uh, if you can do that they start to think beyond what they see and they say what they can achieve and start to change and that is primarily the larger reason why i was doing my my i started my thesis in that uh because there is a larger need for some if i could do that that actually start to make a larger change and uh, after going out and running some 70 or so workshops all across the world in different parts of the developing parts of the world what i found was the abilities of these kids in a tiny little village is exactly the same what you see in cambridge massachusetts mm-hmm. okay there is no difference in their intelligence or core abilities what is really missing is their exposure if you can teach them a b and c it is easier for them to understand d e and f but if you don't teach them at least if they are not exposed to a b c uh, they kind of find it very hard to take the next step and they kind of stop there and that is something that we should be able to give and and the question is how do you go find these you know reach these youth and children who never thought they could be innovators and entrepreneurs and how do you start to change their mindset very very early on uh, my goal is not to start companies my i don't really care if they start companies okay my goal is do are they living up to their potential you know i call entrepreneurs with small e as the people with the ability to do all these kind of things with the agency and they have skills and mindset and such entrepreneurs with big capital e are the ones who have gone out and started companies my and that's a very different game that is already being you know going on my goal is to take them from zero to the point where they believe they can do certain things And I absolutely love that. I think it's beautiful. Um I was going to ask you, yeah, you're trying to make a like the most advanced capitalist in the world, but no, you're really all about social change and you yes. see innovation entrepreneurship as like the fundamental medium through which we can affect that. I'm more and more coming online with that point of view. I used to think what the world needed was a bunch of social science teachers. So I became one of those. I'm not so certain that's what's important anymore. I'm very interested in innovation and I'm pretty good at it. The entrepreneurship part is a, a completely different ball game. So I like how you distinguish between those because a lot of people that I know have very innovative mindsets and abilities but don't necessarily have the skill set to monetize that. You're all about exposing kids to the opportunity to pr- develop innovative skills and entrepreneurial skills but also the mindsets that underlie those. Right. how does one do that what is really important if you want to help people develop their own understanding of their potential with these two outcomes in mind so so if we step back and say 
why don't most people youth or even let uh, forget children why don't let's start talking about youth why don't most most youth uh, most of them uh, think of starting companies okay uh, and i when you look back there is uh, first is there is a fear of what if i fail what if i lose everything and there's whole bunch of those those limiting beliefs uh, which wouldn't so they they would rather say i'd rather get a uh, a safe job and get some income and continue with my life and when you why do they think that way you look back one more level peel back one more level is uh, our parents have put them on a path which where they so sort of grow up and find a job that is and settle in and you know have a steady income and all those things and you then you go one more level and that is how the schools have been teaching you know say you take five the five of these courses and you can become an accountant okay if you take three of these courses you can become an engineer okay if, you know or whatever else so when you really go back you can actually see that we are almost putting them in in certain grooves uh, of safety so while they grow up to be there and internally they are also thinking no and that is what i need to be because uh, the, the the fear of these the the, the the failure and the only way to approach this or to beat this is to make them fail early on through control failures and then show them how to recover and show them that they have the ability to recover so this is uh, i i just finished this you know this morning i was finishing up a whole two day course uh, for design students in in india and i was uh, started with teaching them electronics and you know these are all art students primarily product design and such uh, mechanical design electronics coding all these kind of things so they, they had went through two days and they actually made a product and made a movie and all those things so on first day they said how many of you can do any of these things and there's most of them would say no i won't be able to do any of these things but you know i'm signed up but i i don't think this is well beyond me uh by end of second day they all could do this okay uh and the if i were to teach them like i'm teaching a subject where okay let me start with the beginning and take you through the whole thing uh first thing they would have lost the thread halfway through got bored they wouldn't have understood how to apply it uh so the whole teaching is through okay i'm going to show you the smallest little thing applied and they first they went they tried it doesn't work and you know things fall apart uh, and say okay now then i it gives me an opportunity to talk to them it's okay why do you think this failed and i don't know so let's actually split it up you know if it is a, if your circuit didn't work and the coding didn't work let's actually split this up and see is it the problem with the code or the circuit let's see if the circuit connections are fine or test out with a working set of code okay once it is okay now i know where the problem is now let's like go deeper into this i if i can take them through these couple of steps then the next time they face the same problem they can actually go back and analyze why things did not work and you give them that exercise or experience a couple of times and they know how to debug them their own situation okay and that requires confidence otherwise they say well, somebody else come and please tell me how how to work on this uh, or how to fix this they 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 should be able to figure it out on their own and this 
the second complementary part to this is ability to learn on their own so if something is not working either you can throw up your hands and say i don't know how to fix it or i can say let me go google it see how others have talked about it apply some of these kind of things and see what worked and once you can close the loop you can you can solve the problem but you have learned how to solve the problem and you have learned how to learn and that and how to fail in the process you have to fail absolutely without the failure without the that failure you would not even have the need to take all those steps so you know if you if everything succeeded in the first time i have no idea why it succeeded because mm-hmm. you know or is it over designed you know i i can design something with you know a thousand times more uh, uh, over designed by a thousand times and it may work but i don't really need it you know uh, failure tells me what the weak points are uh, not just in in the system as well as in your 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 own ability to understand these things so i take them through these control failures where show them how to do certain things show them very minimum and give them a challenge where just outside their competence competency and they struggle they they fail they figure it out and the first time around they feel good then move the goal post again and after, and because any of these kind of things are not going to affect them they're not it's not going to completely demotivate motivate them but at least just outside their adjacent to their their capabilities you know just keep putting them outside the the boundary and what you see is that they start to do things and they start to believe they can do it and that's the beginning of the the journey and that yeah, self efficacy that self efficacy of learning to get out of these kind of situations uh then it doesn't matter if you're a history major engineering major or a med- medicine uh, major you have the ability to figure out the rest of it if someone else can learn it you can learn it too so if you want to develop like a person if you're an adult a parent or a teacher to develop an innovative or entrepreneurial mindset it's really about trying to give them opportunities to experiment and fail and okay. learn w- Yeah. why they're failing so that they can understand why something works a system or whatever works and and the reasoning behind that do you think that um in conventional schools those kinds of modalities of learning are done really well or at all i don't think so so uh, you know in in schools uh, a failure means either you have you have uh, it's it's a very very competitive situation where uh in multiple ways one as if if, if if there is no cooperation because if if i help you with your subject and if you got five marks more than me and on your on your curve uh, grading curve grading scale you have i i have actually lost out because i helped you why would i ever help you okay so uh in a competitive situation uh you each you're trying to create champions individual champions uh well, but if you create a cooperative learning uh, situation where you you know environment you are going to make help them learn together uh and failure would be okay because if i fail i can someone else can help me learn uh, get over it and in a competitive situation one failure can put you back so parents are also very scared of 
seeing their children fail and learn and so they would rather put them in the middle of the middle of the path so don't don't fall off either side okay take safe path and so that you can get the best grades you can get to get to best college uh, but the, the, you're not actually encouraging them to fail I, when i say fail it may sound really bad but i'm talking about these working and failing at the edge of your competence you know if if i if i were to do you know brain surgery i am going to kill a lot of people because it is well outside my competence okay sure <laughs> <laughs> but uh, if i were to work just around the edge of my competence if i fail i can learn and i can expand my zone of competence so and so it has to be adjacent uh, to what i know uh, and the schools and even parents and the whole education system uh, currently does not promote this learning through failure the failure is almost considered fatal how would you go about rethinking schools or even just a classroom environment to try to encourage failure while at the same time still assessing skill development and in knowledge building and so on so okay so there is a continuum from k through 12 to you know higher education to employment and all those things and if you and if you look back from an employer's point of view uh, if a company says i want three accountants and four mechanical engineers uh, i need to find these three accountants who are all similar looking in their abilities and skills so that i can replace them i want the mechanical engineers who have been exposed to the same set of things so i can actually start with them so you are actually looking for uniformity in in what in these little boxes okay if i you know in any of these roles mm-hmm. and so the higher education folks have to create people who know exactly the same thing and that means they have to ask the high school to do the same thing and the middle school to do the same thing so we have almost set up a, a path of you know certain defined knowledge that they have or skills that they have uh, they they can be moved up so because they're all working in the same path uh, uh how do we change that so today's needs have changed quite a lot today's needs are not i want this guy who replaces the other guy i want someone who comes in and reimagines the problem reimagines the solver uh, the solution and you know come up with something that has never happened before look at it from a very different points of view you know very different point of view how do i create that okay that is not no, no, we pre- primarily need more creative folks who can think outside their little boxes they have been already put into uh, but is the higher education and the and the uh, uh, high school creating these these people you know and now that means the schools and colleges need to start to expose them to so many things outside of their their main subject that they're learning so that they can connect these things to come up with something very different you know and uh, you know arts is absolutely important you know and we kind of don't put too much uh, you know emphasis on that uh, you know understanding user experience understanding users need all those things need a very different way of looking at the problem you know engineers can't solve all these all these things anyways okay uh, so 
exposing them to different kinds of things that early on is so critical and letting them recognize that they can learn any of these kind of things on their own is also equally critical so where does it start i think it starts when they are young children you know it's not when they are 20 years old that we teach them you know or late teens when we teach them these things uh what we teach them early on is uh the basic ability or basic ability to think of uh, you know creatively uh where a 10 year old is a fearless le- learner by the time the same child is uh, 17 years old already the world has done its damage on the kid and they have already started thinking i can only do this i cannot do that and so how do we go to the early stage and fire them up so you have 7 8 years ahead of them where they can be on a very different path you know so these are the kind of things I, with my i've been working with these kid children school children as well as youth and i believe if you really have to intervene to start to change their uh, innovation and entrepreneurship skill set and mindset you need to reach them when they are you know 8 10 11 years old uh and if you can do that you over the next 10 years you would see a lot more people coming out who can do wonders uh so that's what i but I, how much how much does like the kind of like learning sort of approach that you're uh advocating for have to continue throughout the system like what wouldn't it be the case okay so we give all the 8 to 10 year olds these amazing workshops in say design thinking and trying to understand problems and design their own problems and things like that and then they go back into normal school yeah and they go through the conditioning sort of routines that normal school put kids under yeah. wouldn't they just lose all of that anyway so true so currently if, uh, i tried create uh, initially my idea of my really passion was to see how do we change these kind of things in schools to so that the st- schools start to teach these things in school you know within while they are in still in school like you know the problem finding solution creation critical thinking and using technology to uh, uh, you know create solutions and such uh, and of course the current uh, curriculum the curricula that you have in co- schools are are not open to all these things so what happens is most of the schools and teachers and such and even parents they say teach them the subject so then they can f- pass the exams and get the grades and get to other places and other things are you know secondary and uh, i initially tried to see if you, these things could be included in curriculum mm-hmm. and you kind of hit all the ceilings okay with that idea so next thing is forget that let's actually go do it as a as an extra curricular part you know learning so do it in in places where you you know it's not being required and and uh, so we started doing that we went to you know rural schools try to teach them making skills design skills gave them set up maker labs in in there and such so the you can change individuals but for it to be sustainable you need to create ecosystems and the ecosystem within the school i look at it as a uh, requests three things one is of uh, 
community, a few people who become mentors and who a few people who become the drivers. It could be the students and the teachers and mentors and such. Uh, then you need tools, you know. So that's why we set up the little maker labs, even if it is hand tools and little little things that they, you know, in a few tens or hundreds of dollars to thousands of dollars worth of labs. Uh, and, and then we need to have a space where if five people come within this room, we can understand each other. Even if I don't look silly talking things because I, I have a set of people who will understand what I'm saying, you know. Uh, space doesn't mean it doesn't have to be a room, but it is you know some secure space, uh, some place where they can speak out and they won't be misunderstood. Okay, and uh, if you look at any ecosystem, that is how it is built. You know, if if you look at the universities that are producing entrepreneurs and startups, uh, what what they have is an ecosystem because the students, kids who come in are equally intelligent as anyone else. There is no subject that is taught in any of these top schools that are different from that. That it's a secret subject that nobody else knows. Okay. So then what is the big difference in, in the performance of these kids? It's primarily the ecosystem. A child joins a college and goes to the dorm room and sees other kids starting companies. And over time for her, that is a norm. Uh, and you have already changed the ecosystem has changed the, the 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 kids, and so how do we create these ecosystems at the ground level? Uh, so this has been my research for the last eight years, in in running these kind of programs and setting up uh, mentors, setting up labs, and helping them build their uh, the seed stock of innovators start to attract others and they start to grow and once it reaches a critical mass then it kind of grows on its own uh, you can take your hands off and it will continue to run and so that's what we have been doing and so the answer to the question is I believe the way to deal with this is through building ecosystems really interesting so you wouldn't even touch like the normal school day the normal school curriculum you just change the environment of the yes. school yes. so that opportunity arises for kids to be able to experiment and learn new things yeah that's cool yes. i think that that sounds like a a good idea um I wonder whether, though, like there are opportunities to really integrate the kind of thinking that you're doing into curriculum. I know a lot of schools do it. I've designed courses doing it and modules doing it. Um, what, what was it that made you give up on the hope of being able to like redesign what's already there rather than kind of augmenting it? Was it just like so many barriers or? So, so if you look at many of the countries uh, have very strict uh, you know, framework on and school education, you know, mm. uh, and if you if you go to a school and want to change something, the teacher can't change because it's part of the curriculum. The your headmaster principal they can't just change anything because it's part of a, a board exam, and the, you can't change there because it actually goes all the way to the Ministry of Education and such. So, if you fight that fight, you'll be fighting it all the way to the top. And by the time these kids have, you know, several generations of these kids would have graduated, you would. You would have wasted your opportunity. You wouldn't have touched them, reached them. Uh, so, is it? Forget it. I I believe that is not a fight I can take on. Okay, that is way too big, and uh, so let's see what we can change here. Uh, and that is the first part. Second is, even if you want to make a change at the curriculum level, <clears throat> most of the 
teachers are already overburdened they have teaching you know uh, then you have anything related to teaching and grading and such then you have administrative work uh, on top of that if you say i want to teach them making skills and design skills now are you adding one more thing on top of it this, this actually has happened we have worked with uh, teachers and they find it's not their fault they already have too much stuff and this is seen as okay it's good to have rather than must have okay and so the only way to sidestep that was uh, we went and hired unemployed youth and taught them how to teach and so go go to these labs in these schools and teach these kids how to do all these kind of work okay so we took the load off of the teacher and the teacher just became oh, the person who manages the lab and you know but there is somebody else who's coming and teaching so we create mentors who could work with students so in seven schools in in rural schools in india we set up these uh, uh, under un, you know underemployed unemployed youth as mentors and we ran this experiment in two places one is in northern malaysia where we again 10 schools rural of uh, uh, you know all the classes are happened the local language and most in both places they could not talk to us in english they spoke the local language and uh, the government schools so in one place in malaysia when i taught i just gave them the kit I taught them all these things and i step back and see how how they grow so they grew from about 60 students to 150 students uh, over 9 months who are working and designing and things like that so in in india uh, we took 42 students in seven schools six students each and we put in three mentors three mentors whose job was to just go from school to school every week and you know run these 2 3 hour sessions and bring all these kids and show them how to do all these work and this 42 students uh, and these mentors grew the people who were working all these you know kids who were doing these kind of maker work to 2000 wow. so that was a huge change and yeah. And, and I found the, the, those, the, and if you really look back at our own lives, we have had some mentor who has shown us something, you know, even if it is just playing the guitar at some at some age or carpentry or you know, help fix how to fix change the tire on a car or you know whatever else it is, and somebody who showed us that and encouraged us to do that, and we found that oh that is something I can do, and then. i go from changing the tire to changing you know changing oil to doing something else and you know i start to learn more about how to deal with cars okay so but somebody actually just got you into it and that person may not be significant at that point may not look significant but if you really really zoom out you realize that that person just started you started you on a path which later you picked up your own confidence and built up and, and such so you know In my own life, I was born and brought up in a little village in India. Uh, so, I we had a small a transistor radio. Uh, no, that was the only tech stuff I had in the house. So once when it failed, when it when it died, my father asked me to take it to a repair guy. And I used to think that these, you know, as a curious kid of 
eight, nine, ten, or something like that. I used to think that the transistor radios had little people because, with my knowledge of things, that is the only way I could understand how a radio worked. Okay, there are people living inside and you know singing and such. So, uh, when I took it to this guy, he opened it up and showed me there was nothing inside. There was a few things that I could not even understand, and then he started telling me about. what these things mean what is a speaker you know it vibrates it moves and makes sound and and such oh i i was in a very different world and i started learning these things then over time i became an electrical engineer i became a product designer you know designed hundreds of products started companies and when you look back i think i got the first initial startup the whole start from that one experience that would have been a couple of hours okay uh that you just that that person has actually turned me around and showed me a direction he himself did not recognize it of course you know uh, where i would end up uh but that we mentors have that power to show some kid you know how to do something new and then they figure it out on their own and they find and you know find their own way after that we all have had you know mentors so i found that the power of mentors i am currently i am using them as a catalyst for change you know create mentors they create they it, the growth becomes exponential uh, if i do on my own it becomes linear i think that's a brilliant idea i think it makes a ton of sense how do you select your mentors okay so the same rule that i apply to selecting students and i believe anyone can learn all these things and even for mentors anyone can teach any of these things so uh when we picked the mentors they were they had just finished uh, their college uh degree and some of them had engineering degree some of them had social work degree didn't really make any difference because my uh, uh, the thinking is that if 13 14 year old kids could learn all these things you know i'm sure a 23 year old can learn doesn't matter what he has done in college uh but if you really look at the mind of the 23 year old who just graduated she or he may be thinking i'm only an accountant that means i cannot learn any of this you you this is the pipe thinking that we have you know you you have put them into the pipe of an accountant and you come out saying i can only be an accountant uh so but if you go early on before you went to the college you were a generalist you could have learned anything but why after four years you think only you can you can only learn accounting okay uh, you know so and if you and i i i see this problem in in several other places and i see this problem primarily with girls by the time they are in their you know late teens uh they have heard this thing from all the people that know technology and all these kind of things are for boys and they unfortunately start to believe it and then they make life decisions career decisions based on this thinking that oh that is only for boys let me do something else yeah there is absolutely no difference in their abilities in girls abilities to boys abilities okay but you so at the point my my thinking is how do you reach them before all these these limiting beliefs settle in their heads so if you take a 10 year old and say do you learn can you learn all these things 
they'll absolutely say yes. They have no problem doing that. And I have proved it over and over. You know, 10, 13 year old, they learn CAD and coding and electronics and all these kind of things in two days and make stuff. And if I ask a 23 year old, can you do the same thing? They'll, they'll resist saying. If I ask a 30 year old or a 40 year old, can you learn all these kind of things? They'll actually fight me. Okay, uh, and because I, I, it's like I don't want to be seen as a failure. I don't want to show you that I cannot do it. I'm so sure I cannot do it that I don't want to show you that I cannot do it. So I'd rather not do it. You know, and that that thinking starts to solidify as we grow. And question is, how do you catch them before the, all those thinking settles in, and you know, change them? Yeah, I think that's a great question. Another way to look at it is if all these kids are being exposed to adults with limiting beliefs about their own capability, what messages are they sending to the kids who are watching them as well? Yeah, about what it means to be an adult. The biggest problem are the parents. Again, because I, some, most of the time, I, I, I tell my students not to take career advice from their parents because... Uh, parents try to put you put you in paths that have or directions that are safe. They say, you oh, know, I just want you to settle in because I don't believe you have the ability to do all these things. You are my child. I don't want to see you get hurt. So put you on the safest path so you can get a job early on, settle in, get married, have children, all these kind of things. Okay. Uh, and second thing is that the concept of the career, which what role to take, is about 25 years old when they were in that age. Okay, or something like that. So, uh, and so several times my students have come and asked me to talk to their parents, you know, so that they can, they can, and, and in India, you know, when, when I was teaching in this, as part of my thesis, when I was teaching in these colleges, students would come back and say, my father doesn't, mother doesn't want me to be an entrepreneur because they want me to find a job and settle in. And I believe I can do this. And so I would go talk to their parents and say, give this kid two years because you owe that kid two years. Because if he or she fails, it is fine. You have, we, nothing is lost. But if you don't give him these two years, you know, this would be sitting in their head forever. Okay, because you, you have this opportunity, the window of opportunity where you can fail and nothing can, could happen is going to slowly start to close because once you settle in and if you have social responsibilities, you can't take all these kind of risks. It's not just that. If you got bills, you got yeah, debt. You have this belief that I'm an accountant and then you, you're like, oh, I'm an accountant. I make all this money, so I'm going to go get a mortgage. Then you got, you're got you locked into that. Yeah. And, and then your boss is somebody who might be great, probably won't be. And then you're just going to have to be subservient to this person. And, and now you're locked in a situation where you're basically paying for your own like cage and you're stuck. And then the odds of shifting to entrepreneurialism at that point, I think are very, very, very yeah. minuscule. And a lot of people in the world, I'm in Toronto, Canada, a lot of people in Toronto are in this standpoint. It's one of the most expensive places in the world to live. And there's a housing crisis and then the rental properties and everybody believes that they have to own a property. And so the, the market's driven up by irrational exuberance. And we have great, 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 great problems and people are stuck in those problems. So how do you actually get out of it? I love your idea of, going, of starting young. That's why I'm an educator as well. And it's really, really important. I think what you're doing is great. I actually want to learn a little bit more about sort of like the, the minutia of your work. So you have a couple different workshops. 
Right. One's called zero to maker. One's called zero to entrepreneur. You also have an interesting, really interesting framework that I love call, that you call maker, innovator, entrepreneur framework. Yeah. Could you please explain that framework and then sure. how you apply it in those two different conferences Sure. and how that works to really uh, encourage entrepreneurship from a young age? Sure. So, so to start with the framework, if you look at any entrepreneurship development programs today, you walk into any university or something, and, and if you look at what they do, is they pick uh, aspiring entrepreneurs, people who say, I want to start a company, or I have an idea, uh, and then train them to start a company. Okay, and so that means your intake are these selected few who have all, are aspiring to, to take the role, and your job as an entrepreneurship development program is actually enterprise development program. Okay, and you counted you, you, as how many companies did you start, how many jobs did you create and such. My question is how many entrepreneurs did you create? That is a very different question. And how many, if, if uh, in an entrepreneurship program, if you had say 20 entrepreneurs came in and started X number of companies, my question is why only 20? This town has 100,000 people, okay? Say 50,000 kids or youth, why only 20? Okay, and, and then when you look at it, you realize that you have all the f filters that we have applied on these kids on what they should do or they cannot do and, and such. It is uh, only few of them could actually jump out of, get out of all those filters to start up, stand up and say, I want to start some companies. But if you go down and build their confidence, build their ability to think, build their ability to solve, uh, uh, and, and the self-efficacy and learning skills and such, uh, you start to see more of them come out. And this, this is data collected. Okay, I have done this research with hands-on. I can talk about it. So I believe if you could go, this is like your, your, your water main tap coming into the house is closed, but inside all the taps are open, but you still see drips coming in. But if you can open the first tap, which is where you're converting ordinary people, ordinary kids, and set, putting in this idea in their, or building their mindset and skill set to say that, I think I should be able to do this and build the confidence and such. You see a hundred times, x, x, 100x flow coming into the next step. Then of course the entrepreneurship programs will be so much more efficient because you have more people coming in. So. The, the research that I did for the last eight years at MIT and at ASB, Asia School of Business, was to see, can you change the mindset of children and youth so that they could move to the right? Uh, and the framework I created was, you take zeros, just, it just means non, uninitiated kids and, and youth, uh, like the 99.9% .9 of the people, uh, uh, children anywhere, school and college. And... First is to make them into makers. So this path requires creativity, learning abilities, uh, and, and then so, uh, solution problem solving skills. And only then comes the entrepreneurship part. So let's actually talk about the making skills. Making skill is where you teach them to design things. That means first you have to learn different uh, uh, design skills like you know electrical or coding and, and such uh, 
initially they'd say, I don't know, but they learn. And once they feel good, they start to design things. Then you go into the innovator stage. Innovator stage is they need to learn to solve problems. That means you, you know, observe, you know, engage, immerse, understand problems, come back and define the problem and create solutions for that uh, to solve the problem. Then you're, you're in the role of an, an innovator. Then the next role is that of an entrepreneur. Now that you know how to identify problems and create solutions, can you monetize and commercialize it? And then that you, you change your problems into opportunities. How do you create value? How do you, who do you, who's your customer? How do you reach them? All these kind of things fall into the last box. Again, most entrepreneurship program teaches a last box. I want to see how do you take them from the first three boxes and come out. So the zero to entrepreneur program primarily run for youth and college students and, and, and older than that. I take them through this program of over multiple weeks or just give them the skill of how to look at problems, create solutions. They go iterate on multiple projects till one of these projects resonate with them and they start to dig deeper with that project to see if they could take it into a startup. But in schools, we're not trying to create entrepreneurs at all. We just want to take them from neutral to first gear. So I created the Zero to Maker program, primarily for school kids. So they start on this path. And, you know, once you put them on the path, they, once they learn to create things, the next thing is to learn to create things that people can use. And they learn to create things that people can use and they'll pay you. Okay, so these are very simple concepts. So it was zero maker, innovator, entrepreneur. So the two programs of zero to maker is primarily for school kids and zero to entrepreneur is for youth and adults. Uh, so those are the two primary programs I run. And where have you run these and what kind of, uh, how has the location mattered, if at all, to your results? Okay, uh, I have run this program in some of the most expensive high schools in the world to schools where they don't even have a computer. You know, so in some of the places I ran in rural villages in India, uh, children had never touched a computer. You know, the closest they have come is on the phone on their parents, you know, smartphone or something like that where they can see YouTube or something. Uh, and they were you know, when they came to my class and they, you know, of course, I did not realize that these schools did not have computers when we signed up. I had an expectation that at least the schools have computers and, you know, they did not. Uh, but when you started the class with, you know, moving your mouse, how to, where to click, where to type in Google, and you, and of course, I had to have translated to, translators to, to convert, you know, translate my instruction in English to the local language. And within days, they were doing exactly the same thing that these kids from this, uh, uh, the other end of the spectrum, the schools in the other end of the spectrum with iPhone, iPad and iMac, okay, they could do. Well, that means the learning ability was exactly the same in these two places. And I was really, really scared when I was doing this research that I would come out and say and and I have to say that kids in these places unless you're exposed to computers they won't be able to learn or something like that and that was not the case at all absolutely not and 
so I ran it in seven places in, in India and 10 places in, in Malaysia. And uh, same case. So there is no there, starting point is not an issue. You know, what I, I just love this. I think it's absolutely fantastic. I love any time a researcher in education is able to do a comparative analysis of people in the poorest places in the world and the richest places in the world and then get very similar results because it shows that paying $50,000 a year for an education doesn't necessarily equate to a better education. You're paying for other things. You're paying for custodial services, a place to put your kid. You're paying, you're paying really for the social context, the environment, the social capital connections that the kid's going to make in that kind of scenario. And hopefully the connections that the school will be able to give with respect to credentials to get them into the next step. Yeah. And, and, and they have resources, you know, if, you know, you may have 3d printers and laser cutters and things like that in these uh, bigger schools that may not be there in the small schools, but so those are all, you know, exposure to tools but if you really look at intelligence as an ability to learn a new concept fast and deep uh, in my experience the school ki- school kids in rural india and malaysia and Indone- uh, indonesia and east timor were exactly the same as the children i found in in massachusetts or New Hampshire. Makes sense. Intelligence <laughs> is normally distributed. It's normally distributed. It's, so, uh, and that is a, that's the enabler. So that means if if for any country, you know, or in a region or a city, without all these resources, of material resources, still has the same, you know, uh, potential, you know, youth potential, human potential out there. Now the question is, how do you fire it up? And that is what we are failing in. It's not the raw raw ability. It is in, in, in directing them and training them. So how, how do you fire it up? And let's think about COVID as well. Yeah. Under COVID, something like 900 million kids who would otherwise be in school are not in school. And on top of that, there's at least a few, several million other kids who never had the opportunity to begin with to get to go to school. And then you add on the fact that we have got massive population growth, at least until 2050, adding something like a billion people, those are going to be children, to the planet. And most of those births are happening in rural areas. And we also have urbanization going on. So there's a lot of stuff happening, obviously, climate change. How do we best address this? Because you're about entrepreneurship, not to create millionaires, but to help heal the world. You're, you're about SDG zero, sustainable development goal zero. You care about healing the planet. What's the plan? So uh, this is actually a very interesting, they, they call it, this is a natural experiment where uh, what COVID has done to schools, uh, where, you know, for, other, you, you would never actually in any time close the school and see how their learning has changed sitting at home. You can never actually do that experiment, okay? So this is a natural experiment where people are forced to stay at home and uh, in in uh, affluent places where they had uh, web access, speed, and computers and everything else, it's a very different story, okay? In places where they did not have any of these things, the learning was completely different. Okay, so now the question is, uh, how do you, uh, primarily, you know, I know in, in kids in, in India, in these rural places, uh, the only technology they had is their parents' mobile phone with limited data. And they have to attend classes with that. 
and if you have two children uh that's it you know you have already you know there's nothing you can do about it so uh, imagine that has kind of closed a lot of doors for it has totally affected education in in many of these places now flip it around and say how do i create these youth mentors in these villages who have the ability to teach them design teach them you know some of these basic skills uh and and ability to learn on their own and and that that is a, maybe that is the only way you can actually teach them things where a teacher sitting somewhere else cannot teach online uh these kids may be able to learn on, on by themselves and at some point if they can pick up the skills enough skills to do things on their own and learn on their own i believe when they go to school someday they will be able to do much better job than what a teacher could teach you know because today if you really look at it a teacher can give one point of view of of if it is physics of history or whatever else you know you can actually one of few points of view uh, a student who can learn on her own can go online or anywhere else find 15 different points of view on the same topic and that ability learn on ability to learn on your own has completely opened up your learning skills and 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 when they go to school i think they may do so much better so uh, uh, that ability to self learn is what i believe is an, uh, you know what we ha- we can teach not the subjects so even schools that don't have uh, even re- villages and regions that don't have these kind of uh, resources if we can train the kids to learn on their own i think they may do much better I I couldn't agree more. I actually think that's entirely so the solution. It's about ki- getting kids to learn how to learn yeah. and get them to help help them design their own projects so that they have some kind of like concrete goals and they can be able to self-evaluate their progress against those goals and through that develop self-efficacy. Yeah. And then when they have that belief in their ability to learn then that becomes really easy to magnify and to apply in different contexts and especially if you get a kid really young and you get them to build up their their sort of learning courage really young it stays yes. even when they go into really authoritarian school context at least in the small bit of observation that i've been able to see in my life and i think it's really powerful there is really interesting research evidence from around the world that you can do this so there's um a school system called escuela nueva for instance that started out of colombia in rural colombia and the whole purpose of it was to deal with the problem of very low literacy and very low educational capacity in rural areas and given the lack of financial resources and so what they did is they went out into rural areas and they taught they gave uh, learning materials to teachers and helped the teachers support the students to teach each other. And so you you would often have um self-directed learning cycles where kids would be able to self-organize uh their own independent learning projects or follow just like a a learning guide, a, like a pacing guide or whatever it might be and then teach each other. Right. Stepping in when the teachers were just not there that day for whatever reason because the, the capacities were so low. And they were able to see massive increases in literacy. like it actually does work this is doable right. and what you're adding on it sounds to me is like a, an extra layer of mentoring and more intentional programming with respect to entrepreneurialism in particular and the mindsets that underlie that i think that's a really good idea and if we could do that plus get really awesome tech to kids all over the world 
thinking 30 years ahead, I really think we could transform the planet for the better. And these, you know, even giving them the resources, it's not very expensive. You know, a few hundred dollars gives them a whole set of things that they can. How do you change, make their bedroom into a, a maker lab where they have 24-7 access to all the you know stuff that they have, you know, so they can build and learn and iterate over and over. Uh, if you really look at a, a physics lab, uh, in a school, you may have access to it for an hour and a half or two hours a week. Okay, but if you have a a, a maker lab, a hundred dollars with a few things in the very minimum things, with twenty four seven access, you know you start to apply it. You know, the, the, give give the kid of of a, a, a screwdriver set, okay, <laughs> or a toolkit, and let her start to do things with that okay and we want initially they may destroy a few things that's all fine but then they learn how to do use it right you know and 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 that is how i i believe we should slowly start to transform from centralized resources to distributed resources in their own homes okay but they have to be really really inexpensive so they can afford it uh, but the learning has actually you know, gone multiple times because they have 24/7 access to it, and they're doing using it multiple times. You know, so uh, yeah, that's uh, wanted to bring that that point. Yeah, yeah, I think that's important. How are you? What is your thinking at this stage? Or your ideation around trying to spread this model of mentorship to the world's rural populations, given just how how okay. big of a, a job that is? Like, how do you create those kinds of ecosystems? So, so currently, I'm, I just, as I said, I finished a whole f- course for a mentor development program. So we are taking in youth, college students, fresh graduates, underemployed, unemployed, and running online courses where they learn all these things. Uh, and they all have a little kit of things with them. Uh, and you teach these mentors and teach them how to teach and ask them to go out and teach these school kids, okay? And now each of those school kids or you, for anyone who learns from them become a mentor to somebody else, okay? So we are working on projects in in Africa, South Africa where mentors sitting in, in India are going to mentor online, okay? They come online and say, okay, show me what you have and create design things with the, the you know, they don't need to be there so once you have created these network of mentors uh, it starts to the, the reach is primarily online it is not in person so uh, if i have a hundred mentors all over the place i can redirect the resources to any place where i'm running programs to so go teach you know go do make the difference so right now we are working with the uh, city of fitchburg uh, in Massachusetts, to how do we reach the youth and school kids and teach them uh, these kind of things, set up maker labs, set up maker programs within their community, so the school kids start to learn different things and start to aspire to be something else, you know. And now once they are uh, trained, they become mentors for, for online programs for kids sitting in other countries. And once you teach, you learn, of course. And you, your mentors actually learn a lot more than what they teach. Uh, but and these are all, they're all at different stages of learning. You know, we all are in different stages of learning. And 
how do you just put them on a path and this uh, the network really helps online mentoring really helps and so we are in india we are trying to create a mentor development program where uh, you take them train them give them some stipend to go teach in places and once you start teaching them uh, the mentor becomes more employable because this kid who has this youth who has maybe dropped out unemployed underemployed whatever once they learn to design tech problem solving all these kind of skills that they're teaching at the end of a year they should be able to go to any company and say you know what i can do all these things you know now i know how to solve problem i know how to code i know how to do mechanical part i know how electricity works i know how to design electronics to some extent you become more employable okay and so the idea is that we can reach two generations at the same time youth who are trained to become more employable who become mentors to the to the kids who grow up to be that you know and and it, it, these are all uh, ways to magnify the the flow uh, and so uh, and that is what we are trying to experiment right now that makes a ton of sense so it's all about building capacity over time exactly what have your research results shown so far and what would you say you're most proud of? So uh, I've done this thing in 17 schools, three colleges and one country. Okay. And then of course there are a lot of other programs for smaller uh, events. So first thing is that I started with an engagement, two, three day engagement to teach them some uh, the making skills and such and i collected data to see how their confidence changes how their abilities change and we came back after a year or so to collect the same data from the same people uh what we found is that before and after the program their their confidence goes up and over time it comes right back down because we did not engage with them after that uh and what we found is that when if, if i learn something and i i put back into the same group where the others don't understand me i know after some time i'm i'm going to go back to the same state the rest of them are so which told me that you need to have a more sustained engagement uh so then the next one was we ran for 5 weeks uh, in a college in india where we taught all these kind of things and uh sustained it through multiple projects where each through each project each of these the uh, student uh, kind of built their confidence to do the next and uh, within a year we had these 50 students started about 11 startups okay and 24 of them went and did their first startup many of them failed you know com- companies folded up and then they went back some of them went back and started again Uh, many of them went to foreign universities many of them went to take on you know jobs which are more innovation driven jobs rather than from the small colleges they were primarily taken up for uh, you know if you become an engineer you may be a, uh, you know uh, in maintenance engineer this kind this kind of a role not in the innovation side so these students are kind of moving into a, a different level of engineering itself uh then we said okay now what if the engagement is for a longer time so we did for 6 months to 9 months in schools and that the that is where we 
you know taught these school kids and worked with them for 6 to 9 months and the children who did not had not touched a computer on day 1 6 months later they were you know they did not have enough computers they only had a finally we gave them six computers for the whole school but they were still doing iot and you no know, bluetooth devices for robotics and things so they were creating them coding them 13 14 years old kid kids okay so that sustainable you know sustaining and you know staying with them as well as creating the mentors uh, made a big difference you know and uh, so now if i if you say can you come and run a two day program i'll say yes but i'd rather run a one year program it actually sounds like an argument for schools yes and rethinking it kind of sounds like you're back to the where you started where it's like you got to rethink school rethink curriculum and like you can try to create an external thing but it's going to have limited efficacy because of its short duration and just given the nature of how the human brain works we're forgetting animals not remembering machines and we're going to forget and unless we do th- i mean even with school people forget enormously stuff over the summer that they learned previously if it's not useful yeah. right yeah. it's really important for learning to have a recursive process where you're going back over again and again and again over time extending it um i think a program that aim to do the aim to do what you're doing over multiple years even if it were shorter in duration might actually have more efficacy it's just a thought yeah. i don't know so i i even schools currently we teach them lots of things you know mile wide and an inch deep okay of uh, be it calculus be it you no know, we teach some theory of relativity and uh, everything it might be how how much of it is sinks in this is uh, you know doubtful but what we have done is we we are kind of packing their heads with things that they are giving them content without giving them context okay and if you do you know how to apply calculus in real life no no i just know the three problems that the people have asked and after that i have done with calculus and i'm gone on you know because there are so many things i have to study you know do you understand newtonian physics or you know for any of those basic things light sound uh, everything is learned to of uh, an inch deep uh, level so and most of them they do not learn by doing they just learn the theory and you know we all have done these simple simple pendulum experiments in all you know light experiment and sound every single exactly the same experiment every single year and we know what the answer should be too you know you know move the pendulum and finally come back with 9.8 meter per second squared is the gravity value of <laughs> acceleration due to gravity we all got the same answer and at the ask well, not me oh, i know what you're talking about. i wasn't in your class <laughs> so so no but then they ask the child what does it mean and he said i don't know you know there was an instruction given to me i just did exactly the same thing i got the same answer so that means you're teaching them theories still without actually the, that is not practical that is not actually just you're just copying some pre done program and they got the same answer doesn't mean there's a learning involved okay uh, how do you change it so that uh, they can apply what they learn to create something else so i i would say uh, in science i would narrow it down and give more deeper applied learning so that they, you know once they learn something and it actually you can internalize it you can very easily apply it to other things you know 
But here you have a lot more stuff coming at them. They all have to learn within an inch deep. And at the end of it, there's a, they haven't actually really uh, gained much. You know. And they pass the test and they did well and then they forget it all. Yeah, and more than that, they get scared more. Hmm. Because if you really look at it, I've gone through mathematics. You know, I did all these things. I just hardly... And I thought, after this, I'm not going to touch it because I did not understand a thing. I just managed to scrape through, and you have, you have scared the kid from ever touching it all because you're you're just shooting so much at them where they're not actually picking up picking up. So, I, I yes, but I, curriculum is not going to change, and I'm not. That's not my game at all. But can you pick a few things and give them the detailed, deeper understanding? So hopefully they can surf, come back to surface and understand. Oh, I have this, you know, this understanding which, you know, if I if you learn if I learn Ohm's law, and we all recite what Ohm's law is. And but how do, can you internalize Ohm's law? If you internalize Ohm's law, which says that you know when you apply voltage, there is uh, this current, and the current is the ratio that is what we call a resistance. You can apply it to water flow. You can apply it to finance. You can apply to you know airflow. You can, there's a whole bunch of things that you can apply, and you realize that the basic concept is the same. You know, it is not just an equation with three letters. Okay, and uh, but we don't give them the time to internalize any of these things. You know, we just already go, gone to the next topic the second day. Uh, and so, and that is what we may be missing. You know, that that we're giving content without context. Yeah, I think you're bang on about that. I really think less is more. Um, teachers are often, I mean, they, a lot of people find that when they are more selective with the curriculum and not try to cover everything and give kids projects where they can go in depth into areas, they learn way more. They find way more meaning in their work and they enjoy school a lot more and retain it. Yeah. But it means trade-offs, right? So it means like not addressing every single possible concept in a given course and being okay with that as a trade-off. But that's only possible if uh, the testing sort of regime around that, that teacher in the school allows that. And some courses do and some don't. In the United States, they have these AP courses, advanced placement courses. Mm -hmm. In the social sciences, they are a mile wide and an inch deep. And that's actually an opportunity to really go into depth. So if you can connect everything to the real world to make stuff relevant, and then you can make everything very interesting by giving kids opportunities to actually go into depth with stuff. Yeah. It's doable because of the way that they've designed it, mm -hmm. um, but it's hard to do if you don't have a lot of skill or if you have a really difficult class situation. There's all sorts of ways that could go awry, yeah. um, but I, I'm a little bit more optimistic, uh, I think, with respect to the possibilities of changing schools because I see uh, teachers as the curriculum designers of last resort. So you have all these things that you're supposed to do, but at the end of the day, what curriculum is is what happens. What happens and in class? Yeah, the learning depends on what is happening between the teacher and the student. You know, you can, you can have all the curricular given down from the top. The learning actually happens in the last inch. Okay, between the teacher and the student. Okay, yeah, you're right. It really does. Yeah. So if you can reach teachers yeah. and help them uh, rethink how to problematize curricula in ways that allow for more student agency and interest. Uh, they can find ways to do it. It's not going to be as transformative, I think, as finding dedicated programs yeah. like what you're focusing on. But I think we should do everything at once because yeah. we don't really know what's going to work. We don't know if anything is going to ultimately be able to kind of 
change the world towards the way that I think many of us want it to be changed. But we got to try, right? So I have a thought on that. I believe, you know, so we all talk about uh, hands-on learning is the best way to learn because you do things. Now, imagine if you have a maker lab in a school and most of the programs, so if if I, I teach, if there is physics going on and then there is uh, social studies going on and these two teachers come back and say, let's actually figure out uh, the, the story of Vikings, how they built a ship, okay? Physics guys, uh, teacher has to teach them how, what buoyancy, all these kind of things are, what uh, sails and f- f- airflow, f- how wind moves, all those kind of things. From the other side, you understand what were the materials available at the time, you know, in the, and how do we create a ship? Make a ship, design a ship. At the, at the end of the day, social, you know, history and science have come, back, come together to create something where the student has a very different understanding of both. Okay, and so how do we make all these projects hands-on and uh, and you know learning project-based? Okay, and for that you need to have basic lab or something like that. But that changes the way they learn. You know, if I had a way, I would. That's what my my dream thing would be: create all the learning within the school happens through making, designing, creating. And you may be learning different things. You could be learning biology to, you know, history to, you know, languages, all those things. There's a lot of hands-on component to it. Yeah, I work at a school that does that. And it's really, honestly, quite amazing what kids will do if you just let them. I was in um, a a whole bunch of presentations this morning where kids were defending what we call a mastery project. Big, long-term, year-long project where they design their own learning. They design their own learning targets, their own goals. They decide uh, how they're going to assess those goals. They work with an an external mentor, uh, somebody who's an expert in the area of their project, and an internal mentor, somebody at the school who helps them along, largely with self-management stuff and the emotional part of it. And they work, 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 and produce stuff. And it's really incredible. One of the projects this morning that was presented was, I don't even know if I can explain it. She uh, learned uh, data science. She learned about computational thinking. She learned about um, algorithmic mathematics and created um, a machine learning algorithm to try to improve uh, Google search engine results so that uh, for students so that they can get more relevant um, learning materials based on difficulty in what they're going for. And she created like a neural network in high school. And and then like the real coders are saying this works. It's very computationally expensive and very slow at this stage, but she's learned a ton through that. This girl also, I would say her name, but she's, uh, I don't think she's an adult yet. She uh, went to um, Kenya and she was working in in schools in one of the most dangerous parts, one of the most um, really underprivileged parts of Kenya, this slum that I forget the name of, but is very famous, working in schools in that context. The uh, teacher to student ratio is um, 80 kids to a a teacher. And then there was some other kind of core, oh, in kindergarten it was 200 to a teacher, it was insane. So she also designed a learning management system to help teachers facilitate learning within the classroom, kind of like what Google Classroom does or a lot of other learning management tools do to help uh, with homework. She created one for inside the class. So like, rather than the teacher trying to explain instructions to all these screaming kids, and by the way, kids in those contexts tend not to be screaming, they tend to be really interested in learning, but nonetheless, it's gonna be hard to reach them. Um, Rather than trying to play that game, she, uh, this student created a new system where uh, 
the teacher is able to input on an iPad, which will information that'll go out to like eight iPads. Kids can work in, in uh, I think groups of four or five with these iPads and the, the wow. instruction and the pedagogy can happen that way. And she was able to measure her results and see significant increases in engagement and learning. And I think that's amazing. And this is a girl in high school. Yeah. Kids are incredible and they will do awesome stuff if you just let them. Yes. The trade-off is that this person arguably knows less about the Vikings, yeah. arguably knows less about, I don't know, maybe U.S. politics or, or something like that. Um, maybe knows less about, I don't know, biology, but maybe that's okay. Because at the end of the day, as adults, we don't know all these things. We don't need to know all these things. We become um, specialists in some areas, uh, semi-specialists in other areas, generalists in lots of areas. But for most of the stuff that we are expected to learn in school, we quickly forget and we're grateful for having forgot it because it wasn't very interesting and they were forcing it down our throats anyway. So we're going to have to make trade-offs. They happen inevitably through how the systems work. If we can accept that as a reality and redesign schools to create opportunity for agency, kids will be agentic yeah. and they will do awesome stuff. And it's really about the mentoring. And this is where I think you're dead correct. Like, so, so, so right. It's all about giving that really personalized kind of support. It's the social emotional components primarily that really matter because kids are very smart. All people, most people are very, very, very smart and a lot smarter than they think. But we block ourselves, we limit ourselves and we limit each other because of all sorts of stupid things that are changeable. So I really salute you and the work that you're doing. I, I, the interesting part is that, you know, you said she may not like biology, but she already knows how to learn. So if she wants to learn, she doesn't need to have to go to a school or a teacher. She knows how to learn on her own. Exactly. That, that is the change, primary, primary factor that changes everything. If she lo- learns to learn, then the the whole world is open to her. Okay? Yeah. And, and, so it doesn't matter if you know if she if she doesn't know if US politics or biology. I can tell you if she wants to do it, she will figure it out. Okay. Exactly. Yeah. And when something terrible happens in the US that motivates her to learn about US circumstances, she'll do that. Yeah. And, and, and that's this, fine. Is, this is exactly the opposite of the pipe, as I said earlier, you know, you push them into a pipe and you come out as a mechanical engineer or as an accountant. You know, you think that is all I can learn. You have blinkers around you saying, I won't be able to learn everything else. You know, in this kid, she may come out as a data scientist, but she doesn't have any of these blinkers. Is that tomorrow if I need to connect biology with my data, I'll go learn everything about cells and drugs and you know, whatever else she needs to learn. And that ability is what makes all the difference. Yeah. And it's not just about being able to be an efficacious human being in the 21st century. It's about freedom. (laughs) She is freer to the extent that she can determine her own life. And if we can learn how to learn and we can learn anything that we're interested in, we're going to be much more free. Wonderful. Wonderful. The last thing I'd like to ask you about uh, was Catalyst 2030. We met up through that. I'm attracted to all sorts of things that are interesting. And uh, I learned the word ecosystem through it. It is an ecosystem. Uh, what is 2030 to uh, Catalyst 2030 to you? What attracted you to it? And what is your involvement with that? So I'm a member of uh, Catalyst 2030. I very recently joined the group. Uh, the goal is, you know, how do we accelerate some of these changes that we want to see? And 
there's a lot of discussions outside but you no know, actions are not follow are being are not happening as much so and we have different groups trying to deal with different things and I, my primary goal is to create change makers you know i'm i'm not a, an expert in water or you know climate control or any of these kind of things okay uh, but i believe if you can make these change makers they go solve these problems you know and 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 that is my interest and and i so my focus i'm all sold into into making that change and uh, within the catalyst 2030 group and it is it is uh, it is a fairly new movement and i believe uh, it may uh, you know start to show its uh, importance very soon uh, especially after you know i believe now the what was we were supposed to achieve by 2030 is now what 2080 or something you know we won't achieve it for another 50 more years you know it's been pushed out by something like that uh, so we have to act you know understand what we can do about it and that is the primary goal of this group cool so it's just a way for you to really connect your your yes. ecosystem of guys seeing what's going to happen with the ecosystem right. that's kind of i think what brought me to it as well and then we'll see what happens who knows right. but people get when people connect good things happen what's next for you and your work so i i was teaching innovation and entrepreneurship i was a professor of practice in Asia School of Business till end of last year, and now I am working on a, a education company, primarily to make this kind of change at different places. Uh, social work cor- uh, venture that wants to start to change communities at the grassroots level, and so f- schools and colleges, of course, because that's the primary place we should make a change in, and we are using this. Uh, f- entrepreneurship innovation development programs uh, to start to change communities and that is my next goal so for the next 10 years that is my that's my focus how do you monetize that since you're the entrepreneurship guy oh yeah again how you monetize depends on what's the value you're creating okay if i told uh a a city or a state uh, how much money do you spend in fighting crime how much money f- money do you spend in fighting drugs okay uh, or the you know paying out for people who do not have jobs and now what if i can create people who are productive who are who who are skilled going out and finding jobs doing jobs generating salary and paying taxes back to you the x and y the two ab comparison is quite a lot one is your government is putting money in to to take care of these uh, these issues other one is these most of these issues have been eliminated and these folks are actually paying back into the treasury okay so prevention rather than cure your, what is the value to anyone and let's actually go make that happen only if you're offering value can you ask for anything wait is that what you do you go to a city and you're like i'm going to create entrepreneurs who are in the future are going to create all this value and avoid going to jail and so give me a bunch of money kind of like that exactly okay well all right well, i can do that <laughs> yeah <laughs> if you can make the change 
and if you can show them the value of what you can you know uh, th- that is actually what makes all the difference so in a in a in a university if i if i said that uh, uh, you know any university could be any college or university uh, if you could create you know 20 100 startups a year creating 500000 jobs a year uh, you know people will come there because students want to be part of a university that is entrepreneurial uh, that is going to change signups that's going to change admissions that's going to change free fee structure that's going to change cash flow coming into the university okay question is are you creating value at that point okay otherwise your for, uh, currency of comparison is how many jobs are you creating how many uh, places and uh, not jobs you create how many people you're placing that's the primary comparison you know mm-hmm. any university talks about you place 90% of the people or something like that what if you flip it and say we are going to create 1000 jobs our graduates are going to create 1000 jobs doesn't matter how many of them get job because most of them will find jobs because we are training them to be more employable so all the same skills that you that you require to be an innovator and an entrepreneur are the exactly the same skill to be a better to be employ better employer to be more employable okay so yeah if you can create these kind of things that can change uh, universities of course same thing happens to schools and and communities and raw material is already there question is we are not we are not feeding them enough That's interesting. So you're seeing like universities as sort of like a, a locus of power at which if you're able to sort of help them rethink what they're doing, they'll change all of what they see as important uh, when students matriculate in and the incentive structure potentially in curriculum for high schools could change. Yeah, is that your yeah, thinking? Yeah. Even mm-hmm. high school. So uh, I, I, I believe a degree is a surrogate for what you can do when you don't have anything to show. that means uh, i can show show this piece of paper and say i did all these courses and i got a's and b's and the employer is going to say ah oh, looks like you may have the ability to do these kind of things coming to my company the second scenario is that i have i a kid comes in and says i don't have a degree but i have created community programs i have created products i have created stuff you know that this this girl that you're talking about you know companies like google will, will will invite her to be part of the team okay because she has shown the skills she has mm-hmm. shown the world what she can do so the the previous model of finding jobs based on a degree will fade away because companies have started to realize that you you bring this kid in from college and you need to kind of brave make the kid unlearn and relearn all over again to start with okay if somebody comes in with most of the skills that i want i want them now because they can hit the road running okay and that's the biggest difference so as you have already started hearing from these large companies they don't care much about degree they don't learn about they want skills skill primarily means learning abilities you know uh, problem solving skills all these critical thinking and if you throw them into any any mix they can be very very productive so the same thing that the companies are asking for employers are asking for is what the what the university should create 
and what the universities are asking for is what the high school should create and it and the same poor thing has to go right back back to elementary schools yeah and if kids are graduating not with grades but with portfolios of work showing what they can actually do and what skills or competencies they've actually developed and to what extent and are, and have evidence for that yeah. compared to somebody who got a whole bunch of grades and has nothing else to show i think that might have a lot more force Absolutely. and if schools created structures to require kids to do that and then universities saw that a whole bunch of kids were coming with these portfolios and actually were successful in their schools and saw the value of them, they might also create systems to uh, push that kind of uh, way of presenting work rather than grades. And that could really change things. Yeah. But it's like, where is the where are the linchpins in the system? Like, where are the hinge points where you can really attack and then everything else will fall? And it's really hard to say. I think it's the United States probably, but maybe not. No, I think other countries may be able to leapfrog. So imagine if you go, go, go to a country which, which already had... Uh, doesn't have all these things that we think they need to have in a college or a university. But if you go teach them how to create, how to solve problems, yeah, forget about degrees. They become, they go find problems to solve. They they create wealth, create jobs, and start to transform. Okay, and uh, so I, I I think it is uh, you, you don't you know like. Like when for wired, most of these countries took up wireless cellular technology and leapfrogged, you know, one whole generation. We don't you know they don't even have wired phones. They straight away went. And similarly, there is technology leapfrogging happening, and I think they should seriously look at at this even in education. Uh, leapfrog once one whole generation where you're not looking at giving out degrees, uh, we are actually sending out skilled people who can solve problems. Yeah. And like, so we're adding, a, a, again, a billion kids in Sub-Saharan Africa and South Asia. And exactly. it's going to be an enormous challenge to try to build schools for all those kids. And when they go, they're going to be with like 80 other kids in class. Or maybe this is an opportunity to reach kids directly, to yeah. teach kids how to teach them how to learn on their own so that they can develop the, the skills that they really care about. And put them into practice and start creating stuff and, and starting to monetize that very young. I, I really believe that kids can create businesses in high school. I know for a fact they can, whether they'll be yeah. successful or not is different, but it doesn't matter. Failure itself could be more beneficial than the success. And imagine <laughs> somehow reaching millions and millions of kids digitally yeah. and you help them learn how to learn. And then they just go out and they do it. And then a lot of them are successful. And then just the university thing never even go happens to them because they don't care. It's irrelevant. It's, it's, it's outdated. It's obsolete. It's a thing of the past. It's an anachronism that the old people talk about and really potentially could do that leapfrogging. And it would be such a beautiful thing. And then this enormous transfer and like then the rest of the world's like, hey, why are we doing this school thing still? Or at least why are we doing it in this way? How might we transform it to make it a lot more agency promotive? I think there's so much potential yeah, so, in this current historical moment right now. The COVID context, I think, adds urgency yes, to it. Yes, yes. No, so uh, entrepreneurs don't fail. The projects fail. Mm. Entrepreneurs learn. Okay, so huh. where they get prepared like for the next startup. So we, we think of entrepreneurs, of, you know, they, they don't, we, we all have fallen down the bike when we're learning, you know, we've fallen down while you're learning to walk and talk and everything else. So we can't call what we learned and you know, emerged and yeah, projects fail, but that's okay. Uh, and I, I believe a, a small college somewhere far out there, 
uh, I believe have exactly the same potential as a large uh, top university which is producing tons of entrepreneurs in, in the US. You know, basic, you know, there's no science is no different, raw material of, uh, of brain power is no different. So the question is, if a university creates a program and over the next five years, it start to change from bottom up, you know, you, 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 that can be done. And I think that, that is the vision that I'm trying to push, you know, uh, instead of, uh, and, and the, uh, as I said, the, this, this uh, natural experiment that is happening with COVID uh, will prove that employers are going to go for skills very soon, okay? And that is going to put the pressure back on all the degree-giving entities to say, give us more skilled people rather than yeah. give us somebody with a, with a paper, okay? So, uh, I, I, and that has to happen. So. I think you're going to be an important actor in pushing that forward. I think you already are. Rajesh Nair, I really thank you for coming on and talking to me about this today. I think your work's awesome. I'd love to help if I can. I really, 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 really encourage you to keep going and fail all the way and the success will come. And your success is the success of the world. Thank it's you a so beautiful much. alignment. Thank you so much. Thank you. Take care. <laughs> That was episode 26 of the World Teacher Podcast. Huge thanks to Rajesh Nair. Please check out his work with NCube Labs at ncube.co. You can also find out more about him and his work at rajeshnair.me. Entrepreneurship really matters. Whether it's focused on the pursuit of wealth in the form of financial capital or on the creation of sociocultural capital, we need to nurture people to develop their innate intelligence, skill, and compassion so they can figure out how to make a personally fulfilling yet pro-social and significant contribution to the evolution of our planetary community. Rajesh Nair's work is doing just that. Peace, love, and respect to him and to you all. Thanks for listening.